0: A big thank you to the uh, young ladies who put that together with a lot of time and patience. Right near the end of that reading, Jesus said, I've come into this world for judgment so that the blind will see and those uh, who see will become blind. And it's such a fitting and yet confronting summary of the whole chapter. The Pharisees, who thought they had such clear spiritual sight because of Moses and the whole Old Testament, they knew their stuff, but they were completely blind to Jesus. The very one Moses and the Old Testament pointed to. Meanwhile, this man born blind ends up seeing Jesus clearly. Brand new 2020 vision. Sees Jesus physically and and more importantly, he sees and recognizes Jesus spiritually. And how does he respond? He worships Jesus. Lord, I believe. As we look at this part of God's word, let's ask God to help us see clearly too. Let's pray. Dear Father, we could so easily be Pharisees today, hearing your word, knowing so much about you, but failing to truly worship you and believe in you with our hearts. Father, please have mercy on us. Open our minds to understand the scriptures and open our hearts to see Jesus clearly, to trust him and worship him. Amen. If you have a Bible open, please keep it open, um, and I'll put some of the verses on the screen as well. This miracle—it's I mean, amazing, isn't it? Really, is amazing. The story is loaded with emotion as people react in different ways, and uh, the children have the fun of drawing the faces. And the kids' sheet it looks like this: uh, different people in their uh, their worksheet. Let's have a look at the story. There's a blind man begging in the street. He's probably calling out, perhaps describing his condition and how long he's been like that, wanting mercy, seeking assistance. The disciples of Jesus, now that probably describes most of us here this morning, Um, how do they respond? They saw a theological puzzle. Verse 2, Rabbi, who sinned? This man's parents, uh, or or this man himself, uh, that he was born blind. Friends, can I say, life can be a bit confusing sometimes, can't it? yeah you know, as we see the successes and sorrows of those around us but let's do better than this may god help us see real people with real feelings and real needs that's what jesus sees well jesus also wants to help his disciples so he does respond to their question they're thinking and here's a technical term retributive justice All right Do good and God will bring good to you. Do bad and God will punish you. The idea of karma is very similar. It just kind of removes God from the equation. Now, in defense of the disciples, a very flat reading of some verses in the Old Testament do point us in this direction. For example, God says, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. Again, uh, God repays everyone for what they have done. He brings on them what their conduct deserves. And one more. uh, Will God not repay everyone according to what they have done? But what does Jesus say in this moment, verse 3? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. The idea of retributive justice or karma, It's not completely wrong, otherwise no one would believe it at all. Even Paul says in Galatians, you reap what you sow. But it's not a a comprehensive worldview. It lacks nuance. It doesn't make sense of all of life. In fact, uh, most of life ends up being an exception to the rule. But Jesus gives us a bigger picture. And he moves the focus to what God can do in this situation. Uh, Friends, suffering is a normal part of our human experience in a sin-broken world. We don't all suffer the same things. We don't all suffer to the same degree. We don't all suffer for the same amount of time, but we all suffer. It's not ours to judge why someone suffers, but to shine the light of Jesus. See there in verse 5, he says, I'm the light of the world. Shine his compassion, his love, and the hope of the gospel in his name into the darkness that they might be saved. Jesus is all about doing God's work while it is day. In other words, while he's alive on earth. We should have the same attitude. While well, if we've got God's breath of life in our bodies, let's live for him and for his kingdom work. But what Jesus does next is really strange. He spits on the ground, makes some mud, wipes it in this bloke's eye socket, something I he can't see yet, he doesn't know he's doing it, and tells him to wash it off in the pool of Shiloh, which John tells us means "sent." What on earth is going on here? Well, there's tons of ideas, but from everything I've read, here's what I think is going on. We know from verse 14 that this was a Sabbath day. We know that Jesus already had growing conflict with the Pharisees and that they had very strict rules about the Sabbath, one of which was about not working the soil. Now, it sounds really petty to us, but mixing a bit of mud, well, that was work, and it was deliberately Deliberately provocative. Jesus is seeking a conflict here so that the hearts of the Pharisees will be revealed. And it works. Our lives are the same, you know. Life just cruises along, but as soon as hardship or conflict invades our happy space, whoa, we we get a, a good view of what's going on in our own hearts as we respond, don't we? And what about the Pool of Shilom bit? Well, in 2004, it was rediscovered. It's been fully excavated now. You can see it on the screen there. Um, the pool itself is inside Jerusalem, but it's fed by a spring outside the city walls. And many, like hundreds of years earlier, a tunnel was dug to bring water inside the city. Uh, and now, it's really it's pretty amazing. Um, in all kinds of ways. I think John's out of the word sent here though because many people were superstitious about the water. Sent points us to Jesus, not the water for the healing power. And the end of verse 7, we see the man blindly obeying. The man went and washed and came home seeing. Praise God for that. I'm in the process of uh, editing some old family videos at the moment. It's tedious and at times very funny. But one clip is of one of my daughters just after she was born, opening her eyes for the first time under the bright hospital lights. She's blinking and squinting and screwing up her little face. It's absolutely gorgeous. Imagine this man. After decades of blindness, seeing, family... Friends, the beautiful world that God's made for the very first time. This is absolutely amazing. Now, the neighbors and friends react in different ways. And and when asked, he simply tells his story. Now, friends, we should always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks about the hope we have in Jesus. I think this passage highlights the power of our own personal testimony. I think it also shows that we can't guarantee a positive response. Before long, he's brought to the Pharisees and he tells his story again. And the Pharisees are overjoyed and praise Jesus. Is that what it says? (laughs) Not even close. They're divided again, just like we saw last week. Verse 16. This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? Some are genuinely curious, while others are appalled because Jesus' actions don't agree with their rules. And then what they do next is really unusual. The Pharisees ask the man what he thought. It's almost like they're asking him to arbitrate, to deliver the verdict on who Jesus is. Now, all the man can say at this point is, he's a prophet. Now, you know, a prophet, someone who speaks for God, either sometimes explaining the present situation, uh, sometimes foretelling the future. It kind of makes sense. Yeah, Jesus told him what to do. He did it. Now he can see. Jesus must be a prophet. But the Pharisees aren't happy. In fact, the further we go in this account, the more we see how the Pharisees want to oppose and discredit Jesus Any chance they can get. The man's response is unacceptable. So they get his parents in. Now they confirm their son's identity and his blindness, then throw him under a bus. (laughs) Verse 21. How How he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. It helps us understand, though, just how much people feared the Pharisees. John adds an explanation, verse 22. His parents said this. Why? Because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, who already had decided that, get that? Who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Even other leaders were intimidated. Jump over to John chapter 12, it's on the screen. Many, even among the leaders, believed in him, in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. It's a window into the power of spiritual abuse. And sadly, it still occurs in some places today. Religious leaders, they carry the weight of God in their words. When they speak God's truth, great good comes from it. But when they speak out of selfish ambition or any other godless motivation, people's lives are damaged and the name of Christ is disgraced. Friends, please pray for John and and, uh, Elliot and myself and all who have a teaching role in our church that we will faithfully speak God's truth. And please do check out what we say to make sure it lines up with God's word. The Bible is the plumb line for our lives. So the Pharisees drag the healed man in again. And you can see in there where they're really trying to manipulate the man into saying what they want to hear. And at first he answers politely. Then he's just exasperated. Then perhaps, I think a bit sarcastically, he invites them to believe. Verse 27, do you want to become his disciples too? (laughs) It's a bit cheeky, but it's also socially and religiously dangerous because he could face the public shame and humiliation of being cast out of the synagogue. Look at what he says. Do you want to become his disciples too? He's revealed his heart. His cards are on the table, and the Pharisees jump on it. Verse 28. Then they heard insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. They're so defensive. And they're not interested in Jesus one little bit. The further we go, the more the Pharisees... They're actually revealing their hearts too. Their cards are on the table and the healed man jumps on it. With a spirit-inspired response, he says this. Now that is remarkable. I think he's more shocked at the hard hearts of the Pharisees than at his own healing. You don't know where he comes from. Yeah, he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. It's absolutely brilliant. He gives the Pharisees a quick lesson in theology. He paraphrases a couple of Old Testament passages to show that uh, Jesus must be from God. And God listens to him. So at best, that means the Pharisees are blind to the obvious truth. But their actions, their actions betray what's really going on in their hearts. They're against the very God they claim to represent. Friends, Jesus came to reveal God to us. We learned that back in chapter 1. So the way we respond to Jesus is the way we're responding to God. To accept Jesus is to accept God. To reject Jesus is to reject God. You know, a lot of people want to have God on their own times without any of that kind of over-the-top Jesus stuff. But what we see here and time and time again through John's Gospel is that you can't have any of God unless you have him on Jesus' terms. The way we respond to Jesus reveals exactly what's going on in our hearts to God. So what do the Pharisees do? They excommunicate him. They cast him out of the synagogue. That means little to us because... um, We don't uh, understand the gravity of it. I mean, if someone is asked to leave a church today, which really, really, rarely ever happens, they just go one further down the road as if nothing ever happened, if they want to go back to church at all. You know, I think what's far more common these days is self-excommunication, where for whatever reason, believers separate themselves from the life and encouragement and worship of their local church. Can I say, friends, such behaviour reveals our heart towards God at that point and causes so much damage to that person and to others. Grieves the Holy Spirit of God. In Jesus' day, there was only one synagogue in each kind of local community and it was the spiritual and cultural, social hub of the community. So to be excommunicated was a huge deal. The healed man, he's now isolated, excluded, alone. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, and we'll look at what he says in a sec. But just marvel at the compassion an initiative of Jesus here. It's beautiful. It's the one thing to see a need. But it takes personal sacrifice to do something about it. Now, the fourth purpose statement of our church is supporting others altogether. One, two, three. All right, we know it now. Uh, if we're really going to do that, though, if we're really going to support those around us, Those in need, it will cost us time, money, comfort, perhaps popularity. Saying yes to supporting others means saying no to other things you currently enjoy in life. Once again, our response to the call of Jesus, though, reveals what's going on in our heart. What are we truly living for? Or perhaps who are we truly living for? At our Connect group on Thursday night, I noticed this for the first time. The healed man sees Jesus here in verse 34 for the first time. When he healed him, he sent him off to the pool and they didn't see each other again. He never got to actually physically see Jesus. And here, verse 35, he sees him. And Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, that's an Old Testament name for the Messiah. Verse 36, who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him with physical eyes. It's awesome. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. It's such a beautiful moment. Do you remember the moment you first recognised who Jesus really is? Perhaps like me, you grew up in a Christian family. And there have been lots of little moments along the way of growing clarity, as we recognise Jesus. For others, there's been a, a moment of great awakening, of spiritual blindness being washed away and replaced with wonderful, clear knowledge of Christ as Saviour and Lord. You might like to encourage those around you with how you came to know Jesus after the service. It'd be a good thing to do. This man, he saw Jesus, the Messiah, He saw Jesus, the Son of God. He saw Jesus, the one who had the power to heal his eyesight and, more importantly, the power to heal his soul. And so he said, verse 38, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped Jesus. Friends, let me ask you a really important question. Who do you think Jesus is? And what is your response to Jesus? Because nothing in life matters more than this. See verse 39. This is the verse I mentioned right at the very beginning. Jesus said, "...for judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind." Jesus is claiming the divine right of eternal judgment. And he's preempting what that judgment will reveal. That many who currently do not have faith will come to faith as they see who Jesus is. And friends, this is happening all over the world today as people hear the gospel and respond in repentance and faith. But Jesus is also saying that many who claim to be able to see the truth. And to know God will in fact be rejected by him. Jesus describes this very moment in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil do- doers. It's all about how we personally respond to Jesus. Doesn't matter how religious your life is, how much people respect you as a great person, or even the amazing sacrificial things you do in the name of God. What matters is this do you believe in Jesus and worship him? Friends, what is it that causes spiritual blindness? Here's a very short list. Pride, love of sin, the work of Satan, resisting the Holy Spirit, ignoring God's word, being more concerned about what people think of us than what God thinks of us. You could go on and on, couldn't we? All of these things are the outworking of what is in our hearts. Our response to Jesus reveals our heart. My prayer for all of us is that God would remove our blindness by his power and open the eyes of our hearts to see who Jesus really is and turn to him and believe in him and worship him, and find life in his name. Amen.